Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So in the mornings, whenever I, um, whenever I drop off my kids at school, I always like give them some kind of like final word for the day or something. And it's not anything like deep or spiritual. I know that that may sound, the way I just said that, you're like, wow, that's intense. But no, it's, it's usually like, hey, be good. You listen to your teachers, um, you know, be a good example to your friends, uh, make sure everybody has a friend, you know, those kind of things. Um, so I always tell them something as they're getting out of the, out of the car. It's almost like a, um, as you're leaving, here's, here's one final thing for you to hear. Do you remember the days like whenever we would talk on a telephone? Remember those days before we had started texting all the time and, and before you got off the phone, you say, before I let you go, X, Y, and Z, right? You'd say that. Um, we do that if parents, if you've ever like maybe dropped off your kids at, at grandparents' house for the night, we do this as we're trying to rush out the door. Like, hey, they've got vitamins in their bag, there's diapers there, make sure they're in bed by, you know, whatever time, which they never are at grandparents' house, but, but that's fine, right? But it's like this, this final thing before rushing out the door. In a lot of the same way, in our text this morning, Paul's gonna do that. He's not rushing out the door, um, but he is gonna give us some final instructions. We're gonna close out our uh, series in First Thessalonians this morning, and, and what he's saying is, hey, don't forget this. This is good advice. Like, like, pay attention to this. And so as we're closing out this letter that he wrote to the people in Thessalonica, Paul's gonna give some, some final instructions for the church. How do we relate to one another? And how do we relate to God? How should we go about things? And what he's gonna show us ultimately is that we are bonded together as a church and we are bonded with God. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter five. Like I said, we've been in this series in the book of 1 Thessalonians and we are closing that out today. And then we're gonna jump into 2 Thessalonians next week, all right? So we're not getting too far away from it, but we are closing out his first letter. And as we read this passage this morning, it's gonna feel maybe a a bit all over the place. It's gonna feel like information overload a little bit. There are 15 what you call imperative verbs in this passage. I have them right here on the screen for you. This is our passage. And you don't have to necessarily read the passage yet. We'll do that in just a second. But I just want you to see like, That's a lot of imperative verbs, and an imperative verb is a command. It's an action, and a lot of times whenever you are um, interpreting the Bible, whenever you are exegeting a text, right, you want to look for what's called imperative verbs because those tell us, here's your action step. Here's what you are to do, and there's 15 of them in this passage, and so that's a lot of stuff, right? And so in this passage, Paul's not gonna like give us some deep theological thing. He's not gonna expound upon mysteries and and different, like this is very practical living stuff that he's gonna give us this morning. And what it deals with is it deals with the relationships within the church because he's addressing brothers and sisters. He's gonna use brothers and sisters five times in this passage and that is addressing the Christians, the church there in Thessalonica. And so I started thinking through this from a relational standpoint, Uh, but it deals with some pretty 
heavy stuff like that they're to deal with. And so when I think of the word relationship, I kind of think of like the happier side of things that maybe don't deal with the, the mess a whole lot. And so I think we're gonna use the word bond this morning, that we are bonded together. That's a, that's a stronger word. A bond is whenever people, they have a relationship that's built on love or a shared experience or a shared belief, right? And so we are bonded. A healthy church is bonded together and bonded with God. So in this closing passage, Paul, again, he gets very practical here. And it may feel, again, like information overload. It may feel a little different than what we typically do. But we're going to ask ourselves, how much do we love one another? And how much do we, do we love God? Before we read the text, I want us to pray together. And, and I'm going to pray for you. If you would, why don't you pray for yourself? And would you pray for me as we open up this word together? Let's all pray. God, we just want to pause and, and thank you for, for the work that you're doing here in our church, and we thank you uh, for this group of believers that you've assembled here at Second Greenbrier, and I, I pray, God, that this morning, as we've come in this room at this time, that, that we would hear from you, and that you would challenge us and encourage us and convict us in all the ways that we need this morning as we are talking about what it looks like to live in community with one another and what it looks like to love you completely. Would you help us? Would you shape us? And would you speak to us? We're listening. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Start in verse, verse 12 with me. Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, okay, it's Christians, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we exhort you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it, all right? So like I said, there's a, there's a lot going on here, and, and we're gonna break this down in two main categories within some, some subpoints. all right? <laughs> so it's not my typical one, two, three. I'm gonna give you two, and then a couple of subpoints under both of those, all right? So the first, the first section that we see is that uh, we see our bond with each other. We see our bond. He's talking relationally, people to people in the church. And, and the first thing that he says to do is to give respect to leaders or to pastors. Give respect to pastors. He says, give recognition and regard them highly. Now, this is kind of awkward to talk about, right? Uh, just quite, quite honestly, it's kind of awkward to stand up here and be like, hey, uh, respect me, <laughs> Love me, right? It's, it's, it's an awkward, awkward thing to do. But it's in the Bible, and that's one thing about expository preaching and you're walking through text, right? We're just gonna talk about it. We're gonna deal with it this, this morning. It's important to keep in mind whenever we're talking about this that this is a two-way relationship. 
between pastors and the church. It's a two-way relationship. And so we see in that relationship that, that both sides have responsibilities. So pastors have responsibilities, and he lines those out for us. He says that they, they work, they lead, and they admonish. So he, a pastor works. That's his first responsibility. Um, believe it or not, uh, pastors work hard. <laughs> Pastors work hard. It's not just a Sunday job, although sometimes you hear that from people, right? I used to, um, growing up, my grandpa was a pastor. I used to think all pastors did was come to church on Sunday and play golf the rest of the week. And um, I can assure you there's, there's more to it than, than that. I, I've played hardly any golf as a, as a pastor. And uh, if you ask me to go play, I'll prove it to you because I'm very bad. Um, <laughs> but I, I do like to play, so I'll go if you invite me. Um, just know that I'm not very good. Um, but the word that Paul uses here whenever he's talking about working, it's the same word that he's used earlier in the, in the chapter, in the, in the book, whenever he talks about they were working to the point of exhaustion or sweat, right? So it's a, it's a hard work um, that he's talking about. Pastors should not be lazy. True pastoral work is hard work, right? So he says that they work and he says that they lead. See, leadership is an important area in in, in every single part of our lives, right? Leadership is important, whether you're talking about in our marriages, in our corporations, or the places where we work, on our sports teams, um, and even in our churches. Every, everything rises and falls on leadership, everything. And, and so without leadership, marriages suffer, um, corporations suffer, sports teams lose, right? If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you know that that bad leadership has, has led to a lot of misery there. And without good leadership, churches, churches fail. Leadership makes life better. God actually designed it that way. And he's created the office of the pastor to lead his church, which if, if I'm being honest, is terrifying, right? It's a terrifying responsibility uh, for someone to have. But the thing about church leadership is the pastor leads in a, in a self-sacrificing way. He's not a dictator or a king or something like that. It's self-sacrificing. If you've listened recently to some of the podcasts or, or documentaries that have come out, there's a podcast, The Rise and Fall of, of Mars Hill, talking about Mars Hill Church in Seattle um, and, and the leadership failure that happened there. Then, then there's a new documentary that just came out on Hillsong Church, if you've seen that. But these po uh, podcast documentaries, they show us, man, what happens, the damage that can happen when pastors lead in a bad way. Um, I've, I've been a part of a previous church where bad leadership has, has severely damaged the church and the people that are there. And so pastors are commissioned by Christ to carry out the oversight of the church according to his will and not, not our own. So pastor works, he, he, he leads, and then he says that he admonishes or he teaches. That word admonish means to teach or to Warn, and, and it's tied to the act of, of preaching and teaching and applying scriptural truth. And so that's, that's what a pastor does. Like that, that is the, the role of, of the pastor. He has responsibilities. And then, like I said, it's a two-way street. So the church has responsibilities in that relationship as well. So, so what are those? He says that the, the church is to respect and to love the pastors. Respect and love them. I think one thing that he means there is don't see them as dispensable. You know, sometimes we'll hear, and, and I think people are joking, 
but sometimes they'll say uh, things like, well, I was here before you got here and I'll be here after you leave, right? Um, I was actually told that whenever I first came to second, uh, not, not, not Greenbrier. Um, and I think she was joking, I, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, since she's been very encouraging and written me letters and talked on the phone for a long time and um, I don't think there's any way in the world she listens to a podcast, so I think we're, we're good this morning. Um, <laughs> but you, you, do, you do hear this kind of thing sometimes um, there's just this undercurrent in churches of, of pastors come and go, and if I don't like this one, I'll just wait a little bit, right? And if he doesn't move on fast enough, I might help him uh, find a way to, to move on. Man, that, that is unhealthy, right? And that, that should not be, and let me just pause and say this. Um, this. This church is eight months old, right? And so we don't have any issues here. Um, I, I love all of you. And I feel like you, you love me. So this is more like preventative maintenance type of stuff. Like you, you change the oil in your car so that it, your engine doesn't like fall out or something. Um, so that's what we're talking about this morning. If you're like, wow, man, this place must have some, some issues. That's not it at all, right? So we, we, we shouldn't um, see them as dispensable, but we also shouldn't swing to the other side of the, of the fence of the equation and, and like worship them or set them up on some kind of pedestal in some kind of way. That is, that is unhealthy. I like to say it this way. Uh, pastors are just dudes. And we have struggles, we have things that we're good at, things that we're bad at, we have families, we have busy weeks, we have bad weeks, we have good weeks, we have all those things, like pastors are just dudes, and so we need people just to love us, love our families, support us as you would your own family, recognize the calling that God has placed, that he's placed um, our pastors here at this time and in this season, at this place for a specific purpose, and we as a church are to follow their, their leadership, right? So that's what he's saying. Like, it's a two-way relationship, like I said. And so I, I want that. Like, I want a deep relationship with you. So, so let's grab lunch, right? I, I eat lunch literally every day, right? <laughs> I never miss. I'm really, I'm, it's one of the things I'm best at, right? And so I would love to get lunch with you. I would love to get coffee or something like that with you. And so I'm actually gonna do something maybe crazy. I might regret this, but would you put um, our contact information up there, please? There you go. So there you go. That's my cell phone number, and that's Tyler Bass's cell phone number. And so I'm serious about it. I would love to get lunch with you. I'd love to get coffee with you. This is a two-way relationship. And so, yeah, snap a picture of it or write that phone number down. But let's have a real relationship. Let's sit down, have lunch, have coffee. I want to hear your story. I want to get to know you, right? And so let's, let's do that. And whenever we have this, this combination of appreciation and affection, this two-way relationship, it will allow our church to live in peace. That's what he says in verse 13, to live in peace. And so that's the first relationship. We need to move faster than that. But, but pastors and people getting along is one thing. And then he moves into people to people getting along, which is a lot more difficult sometimes, right? So that's what he says next. He says in verse 14 and 15, he says, give good to others. Give good to others. And he says in verse 14, I don't want you to miss this, right? He says, we exhort you brothers and sisters. 
So, so he, says, he says again, again, don't, don't miss this. He's talking to the church here. Whenever he's about to say, here's the ways that you minister to one another, he's talking to the same brothers and sisters that he just addressed outside of the leadership or the pastors. And so if you think that, that real ministry is only done by pastors, you're mistaken. Paul is saying, he, he's putting it on your lap. He's saying that real ministry, people-to-people ministry happens by, by the church. And so what does that, what does that look like? He, he lines it out for us that Christian interaction with others, uh, it looks like this. He says, warn the idol. It, really quickly, what he's talking about, we've talked about the context of this passage before where um, Paul is teaching on the return of Jesus and apparently whenever he did that, a lot of people just quit their jobs. Right? And so he says, warn those people who have just quit their jobs, that they're lazy, that they're idle. Warn them because they are misunderstood on my teaching. So warn those who are misunderstood, who are idle. Uh, he, then he says, comfort the discouraged. The discouraged, remember there was a group of people who were anxious about their friends who have died and, and they're wondering about their own salvation. So perhaps that's who he's talking to here, to, to comfort those who are discouraged or confused in the faith. And then he says to help the weak, those who are struggling with self-control and different issues that you see throughout the rest of the book of First Thessalonians. Maybe it's sexual control, maybe it's self-control like we talked about last week, but he says to help the weak. And so what he's talking about here, if we can just kind of summarize those three things, is he's addressing problems of understanding, of faith, and of conduct. He's saying, church, help those around you who are struggling with with understanding, with faith, and with conduct, with their behavior. Man, listen, that is the messy side of relationships, is it not? That's messy. That's, That's real life stuff. He says to help one another whenever they, they're misunderstood about some doctrinal things. Help those whenever they're struggling in their faith. Help those whenever they are, are, are behaving in ways that are not aligned with scripture. Help them, encourage them. And then he says, and don't, don't forget patience. Make sure you're patient because whenever you're walking with somebody through those kind of things, man, it's easy to get discouraged with them or to get frustrated. He says, don't forget patience. Now, be patient with everyone. Wrap your arms around them. Walk beside them and help them. So he's saying, church, help them understand the things of God. Help them where their faith is weak. Help them to walk worthy of the calling of God. What he's saying is that the ministry of the people is done by the people. And I think that's important for us to hear because a lot of times in churches, we think that we just sit here and the pastor does all those things. No, Paul's saying you do those things. Minister to the people. This is why small groups are so important in our church. We talk about it all all the time, but small groups are so important. Uh, It's where deep relationships happen. And so it's where you're best known, but it's also where these things can take place. If you're struggling in understanding, if you're struggling with conduct or with faith issues, it's those people who are right around you who are gonna know you best and help you walk through those things. You need a group of Bible-believing Christians to walk beside you, arms linked together. A group that will warn you when needed, comfort you when needed, and help you when needed. And you need to be that type of person for somebody else. That's what we're called to do. And Paul says, church, see to it that you are pursuing the best for one another. 
That's what it all sums up into in verse 15. He's saying, church, be there for one another. Do the messy work. Be willing to be vulnerable. Get honest about your struggles and your shortcomings and be there for one another. Sure, the the pastor has a job to do in all of this, but he puts the, the ownership on the church to take care of one another. I've heard it said that that church would be perfect if it weren't for the people, right? And there's some truth in that. Um, But there also wouldn't be a church (laughs) because the church is not a building, it's not a place, it's a people. I've also heard it said that if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll screw it up, right? And that's true too. We are all uh, imperfect people. We're all messed up. But that's the beautiful thing about the way that God designed this whole thing. That he had designed it for imperfect people to link arms with one another and march forward, encouraging one another and, and bringing one another along, all for the glory of God. Have you ever seen those videos of, of like athletes on a, on a track or something like that and, and somebody falls behind and a couple others from the team or maybe even an opposing team will go back there and pick them up and take them across the, the finish line. It's like super inspiring stuff. Man, whenever a brother or sister falls and scrapes a knee, two or three of us run to them, pick them up and take them across the finish line. That's the picture, right? Whenever somebody falls or they, they become discouraged, we put our arms around their neck and we walk with them. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture of what Paul is saying to do. He's saying encouraging others, building others up, living in peace, being patient with everyone, never paying back wrong for wrong, always kind. Ask yourself, does that sound like me? Does that sound like you? Are you somebody who lives that kind of a way, just always encouraging, always building up, always living in peace? If you're a Christian, that's how you're supposed to live. Like that's how Paul says that we are to live. Again, these are commands, they're not suggestions. These are commands from Paul. So that's addressing our bond with others. Now let's talk about our bond with with God. Our bond with God. See, Paul shifts his attention from the people-to-people relationships, and he, and he finishes by talking about our relationship with, with God. And, and what you're going to see here, this, is, this would be the, the red section there that I have highlighted for you. These things absolutely can and should apply to your life on an individual basis. Like, rejoice always, pray constantly. Like, these are good things that that should be a part of your individual life, but I want us to look at them from a corporate sense. Like, we're talking about the life of the church, so let's let's stay in that type of mindset. And, and, And in fact, Every single one of these are in the plural sense. Every single one of these verbs, every single one of these uh, addresses are in the plural sense. So he is talking to the church. Again, he says brothers and sisters multiple times here. So just as we are to relate to one another, we as a church body are to relate. We are to be bonded to, to God in a, dis- a distinctive way. The first thing he says in verse 16 and 18, he says, give praise to God. Give praise to God. See, this section deals with our worship of him. And again, let's just think corporately about this. Whenever he says rejoice always or or, always joyful, he's not just saying just be happy. It could better be said as rejoice in the Lord always. 
So this is an encouragement towards worship, and more than that, it's an, it's an encouragement towards joyful worship. So think corporately, our, our time together, let's, let's be clear, like worship is definitely more than singing in a service, but it's certainly not less than that, right? Like when we come into this room to sing and to worship, he says when we sing, we are worshiping the Lord, and Paul says to do it joyfully. Now, let's talk about that just for a second. If we are worshiping joyfully, some of us need to inform our faces, right? Whenever we sing. Some of us need to tell ourselves, like we're doing this joyfully right now, and and honestly, if I can just kind of call you out, guys, Fella, men, we need to sing. Like I look around and, and we're not even singing. And you might go, I can't sing. I, I'm not as good as Tyler Bass. Well, you're probably not, but that's why you don't have a microphone, right? <laughs> so sing, sing joyfully. Like let's lead the way. I wanna encourage you, lead the way in singing. It doesn't have to be pretty. Just engage in worship and let's do it Let's do it joyfully. So he says always joyful, and then he says constantly prayerful, constantly grateful. This is, this is God's will, that's what it says, that, that our relationship with him would be one that is marked by prayer and thankfulness. Our time in worship should be marked by prayer and thankfulness. Uh, listen, there, there are times where you're probably not gonna feel like worshiping, right? There's gonna be times where you don't really feel like prayer or you don't feel very thankful. And Paul says we should do it anyways. It's his will. It's God's will that whenever his people meet together for worship, no matter our feelings, no matter our circumstances, that there should be rejoicing in him, praying to him and giving thanks to him for his mercies. So he says to give praises to God. And then finally, this is the last section, verses 19 through 22, give attention to God. When you come together, give attention to God. This last section deals with our focus on him. He says in in verse 21, to test all things and to hold on to what is good. Test all things. It's not really clear what Paul's addressing here. He could have been talking about some different teachings or prophecies that were taking place in Thessalonica at the time, and he's addressing those kind of things. We're not really sure what he's talking about, but we do know that he says to test all things and to hold on to what is good. And the word for good there, the Greek word is kalos. That that word would mean to, to test something to see if it's genuine. It, it argues against things that are counterfeit, right? And so I, I think, when I think of counterfeit, I think of, of money. Um, have you ever seen the thing where like a pastor will hold up a, a bill and be like, if anybody wants a free gift, come and get it. And you know, somebody will run up and get it. This is not that thing, right? This is, this is my $20 bill. <laughs> but to talk about counterfeit stuff, like if you, if you look at a $20 bill or any American currency, there are um, markers to determine whether or not it's counterfeit, to see if it's real. So like on a 20, I think I read that these were redesigned in 2013, something like that. Um, but this bill has markers, like if you hold it up to a light, you should be able to see Andrew Jackson's face over there. Um, it's got like this thread that runs through. I know you can't see it, but um, if, you, if you have actual cash on you, you could look at it later. But like there's a, a marker, a ribbon that's 
embedded there, this, this ink that is this right here, if you hold it in the light, it changes from gold to green. And like, there's some different markers about this to let us know that it's genuine, that it's, it's real, it's not, it's not counterfeit. And Paul says that the way we do that with our faith, whenever we do that with the things that we believe and what we do here together, is we test what is good, what is genuine, through the Spirit of God and through the Word of God. That's what, he, that's what he says, to test it with the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He says in verse 19, to be sensitive to the Spirit. He's literally talking about the Holy Spirit. The New Testament uses imagery of the Holy Spirit of fire. And whenever he says don't stifle or don't quench, he's talking about don't pour water on the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the fire that's there. So in a very simple way, he, he's commanding the church to avoid anything that will hinder the Spirit's work. And in fact, if you think about it, all the things that he told us to do before, the joy, prayer, thankfulness, all that comes from the Spirit. And so unhindered joy, persistent prayer, and genuine gratitude are all evidences of the Spirit's work in our lives. It's how we know if we're genuine. It's how if we know we are good, right? And he says, committed to the word, don't despise prophecies. See, Paul knew that the health of the church would ultimately be determined by its commitment to preach and its desire to honor God's word. The church will only be as strong as its commitment to preach, teach, and obey scripture. So like I told you in the beginning, I know that that's a lot of like information overload. It's the closing remarks of Paul as we finish out this letter, and it's, it's a lot of information. But as he closes his letter, he gives us instructions for relating to one another and relating to God. And it's just insanely practical. It means what it says. And so the hard part is not understanding it. The hard part is applying it, right? Anytime you get to a, a piece of scripture that's very practical like this, the hardest part is living it out. Like living in genuine community with one another, picking one another up, being patient, being kind living joyfully and prayerfully and with gratefulness, even when everything is chaos all around us, even when I don't feel like singing, that's, that's hard. And that's why Paul says to trust him for the progress. That's the way he finishes his letter. Trust him for your progress, for your sanctification. Philippians 1.6, Paul says there to the Philippian church, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Like he will finish it, not you. And he says the same thing here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So we are to be faithful in living out these things, but we trust him for our progress. If you're married, do you remember your, your wedding ceremony? Remember what that was like? Abby and I, we, we got married in, in Mexico on the beach, and I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> um, two hours before our ceremony, we were like sitting on the beach in swimsuits, and we were like, I think we should get ready. Yeah, I think, I think it's time. And so it's super stress-free um, time. But that, that's the way that our, our wedding ceremony was. In a, in a wedding ceremony, you say these things, they're called vows, right? You remember saying your vows? I have, I have some here, and these came from MarthaStewart.com, so you know that they're good. <laughs> these are typical wedding vows. I 
name, take you name to be my wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. See, see marriage is, it's more than a relationship, it's a bond, right? Marriage is not just something that you give up on if things get tough, like you push through, it's a bond, for better, for worse. Did you know that the Bible talks about the church as the bride of Christ? Wedding imagery throughout scripture, that we are his, his bride, and it, it describes the wedding of the church with the groom, Christ. In fact, your, your marriage, the primary purpose, the primary focus of your marriage is to proclaim the gospel to the watching world. And so this imagery is throughout the Bible. Marriage is actually a good picture of what the church should look like. It's not just some flippant relationship that you'll be a part of if you have the time. It's a bond and it's a family. The church is a family, not a perfect one. Most families I know are crazy, right? And so it's not a perfect family. We have crazy cousins and uncles out there just like everybody does, but we are a family. That's the reason we call this the second fam, the second family. People from all different walks of life bonded together as a unit. We are bonded by our love for Christ. Brothers and sisters, right? He uses that language, that's family language. We are brothers and sisters. Do you remember how they started? In Acts chapter 17, verse four, Paul talks about the start of the Thessalonian church. And he talks about how he was sharing the gospel there. And there were some, I love Acts 17, four, it says some were persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah and they gave their lives to it. That's us. We're the church. We are the people of God who have been persuaded that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he would do, and that he saves us. That his death on a cross took our place. We're persuaded by that. Like, we believe that. We're persuaded. We believe that his death becomes our death and that by trusting in him, his resurrection, his life becomes our life. And so we are persuaded by that good, that good news. This thing called church is bigger than any single one of us. Any one of us. It's bigger than every single one of us. We desperately need each other. That's why it's a big deal when you're not here. Like not to heap guilt on you or anything, but like we need you. Like we're a family, we, we need one another. That's why you need to be in a small group. For a family to function properly, each member must do his or her part. So we are a family, we are bonded, and Paul says that we have responsibilities to one another and to our God. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.